Thank you. Please be seated. If you have a Bible, I'm going to be turning to the Gospel according to Mark. Just the first few verses of this Gospel. We're in a brief series to see how Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John introduce to us the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you say, well, well, David, uh, uh, Matthew has something to say about that. Uh, Luke has something to say about that. Even John, in his way, has something to say about the coming of Jesus, but, but not Mark. Mark just picks up at the beginning of his public ministry, right? Well, let's see, shall we? It will only be three verses tonight, but we'll take a look and see how much they say. From the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, that all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him, and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray once more together. Our Father, we pray that the same Spirit with which we ourselves were baptized into one body might now be illuminated, uh, instructed, and convicted according to this word. And we pray that the blessing of the coming of Christ would be to us a delight and a wonder afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Gospel of Mark that we begin, we began reading is, uh, in some respects, very unlike the other Gospels. It tells us nothing of the birth or the early life of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, com- it contains very few, even of Jesus' sayings and discourses and sermons of all the four inspired histories of our Lord's earthly ministry. Mark is by far the shortest. And nearly all the scenes that we find in the Gospel of Mark are also recorded in Matthew and Luke. So probably for these reasons, Mark is typically undervalued and uh, often ignored. Uh, doesn't get a lot of comments and scholarship. It wasn't very frequently quoted by the early church fathers. Not nearly as much as Matthew and John, for instance. Now, I didn't verify it, but I read this week that John MacArthur had a goal of preaching through the entire New Testament, and guess which book was dead last? (laughs) The Gospel of Mark. He even preached a couple books twice before he finally broke down and did Mark. So uh, you're saying it's not a very good introduction uh, to the book. I'm, I'm not very eager to hear. Well, Mark should not be undervalued. He certainly has his own way of teaching, It has a very vivid and fast-paced way of uh, presenting Christ to us, for one thing. Uh, Mark uses, for example, present tense to tell stories. The way that he does it makes it very vivid, just like we do in English, I suppose. If you want to be very dramatic, you, you switch from the past to the present. So if I said, the other day, 
I was on my way to work, and this guy cuts in front of me, and then he slams on his brakes, and he gets out of his car, and the guy's yelling and screaming at me. Um, so all those present tenses make it seems as though it's, it's happening right before your eyes, even though it happened in the past. So uh, it seems a little strange in the, uh, in, in, in the newer translations. They, they typically put a lot, all that back to the past tense. But if you're still reading the old King James, you'll notice that they have it just as Mark said it, in the presence, in the present. Mark, uh, by the way, uh, also is very uh, compelling as he emphasizes Jesus' actions rather than his words. We tend to neglect the deeds of Jesus. We pay a lot of attention to his teaching, which is wonderful. Uh, But uh, Mark very cleverly explains why Jesus did what he did and uh, puts these things together in a story format that has a lot of lessons, much more than we can look at tonight. My, my, My point is simply that Mark has his own presentation of Jesus and shouldn't just be viewed as a smaller, inferior version of Matthew or Luke. Well, to the point here this evening, Mark begins by saying that this is the gospel about Jesus Christ. A gospel? What is that? What, is, what does gospel mean? What is this gospel of Jesus? It's very important that we know. One of the mainline denominations did a survey among a group of their leading pastors and theologians asking them if they would summarize this gospel in seven words or less. Here were some of their responses. Divinely persistent God really loves us. Um, That's true, but it's actually not the gospel. Another one, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a super important command, but again, not the gospel. Another, uh, God is love. This is no joke. (laughs) Uh, I think they had to work a bit to stretch it to seven words here. Uh, We could all grow and change, said one. Christ's humanity occasions our divinity said another. We are the church of infinite chances, said yet another. Or, finally, to dwell in possibility. All right. I wonder if these scholars ever noticed the response in the Bible that other people had to their preaching of the gospel of Jesus. That is to say, when the gospel was preached, people were either utterly converted and shaken to the core, or they tried to stone the preacher to death. Nobody was ever killed for walking around saying, love your neighbor, or dwell in possibility. Right? Okay. My point is, there's a lot of confusion out there about what the true gospel is. It is a message that you cannot have a neutral response to, and especially the way that Mark puts it. Because Mark is going to keep putting before us the divine Messiah in his actions in such a way that we will either be forced to bend the knee or to reject him in anger. But an indifferent response is not possible. But let's start with the definition of the word. The Greek word for gospel, the word here in verse 1, it means simply good news, a very common word of the day. It was used often for good military news or good political news. Good news came from the battlefield. We won. Well, that's the gospel. Or good news about a wonderful new king who's come to power, arriving soon here, perhaps. A calendar inscription from 9 BC was found in 
Asia Minor, saying of the emperor Octavian, better known as Augustus, the birthday of the God was for the world the beginning of the gospel, which we have proclaimed on his account. The beginning of the gospel. That is to say, there's a new emperor. Well, this gospel message, which was big news, either a big military victory or a great new leader or something that puts the world in better condition, that word is used to describe here the coming of Jesus, God's Messiah, the coming of his kingdom, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Okay? And the climax of the book does join well together with this when we read in Mark chapter 15 how the centurion who stood opposite Jesus saw as he cried out his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. So between these bookends, the Gospel of Mark explains what this good news is, what it means that this is the Messiah, the Son of God, what it means to know the truth of Jesus and what he came to do and what it means to follow him. That's, again, the big idea of, of the book. But, again, specifically in this little series, I'd like for us to look at how Mark is introduced. This is a series on the coming of Christ into the world and how it's presented in the Bible. We're told in verse 1 that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah, that is, the, the long-promised Son of David, who was to be the ruler and redeemer of the world, called also the Son of God, in verse 1, and I won't weary you with all the controversy over the meaning or the textual basis for those words, but let me say that according to a number of eminent biblical critics, these words, Son of God, don't mean that Jesus is divine. That's a misreading, they say. It, merely they mean that Jesus was the king, and uh, these words are used of, of uh, the kings of Israel if Mark even wrote them, which they doubt. Well, if you don't know it, um, the critics say that Mark doesn't present a very great Christ. They don't pre Mark doesn't present Christ as Emmanuel, as in the Gospel according to Matthew, God with us, or the Word made flesh, uh, as other Gospel writers clearly do. So critics say Mark presents a very human and less glorious Redeemer. And this is one of the reasons they say they're sure that Mark was written first, though church history says otherwise. But they say, no, 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 legends take time to grow. And here's this little gospel of Mark before it's filled in with all these exaggerations about Jesus. It presents Jesus merely as the man, the, 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 the Christ of God who is the man Jesus. Matthew, Luke, and John must come later because they are presenting Jesus as God in the flesh, Emmanuel. Well, that's interesting. Let's just see about that tonight, shall we? Let's look this evening specifically at the coming of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark with all this introduction to the theology of the book and the critical difficulty here at the beginning. Let's see what Mark himself says. We're only going to look at the first three verses, where you notice there are no wise men, no star in the east. There are no angels, no shepherds, no mangers, not even a little drummer boy, to welcome Jesus into the world. Who is this Jesus, and where did he come from? Surely every reader wants to know 
who is this one being introduced to us? Well, we get the answer in the first few verses. Just before Mark tells us about John the Baptist and the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, just, just before that, in verses 2 and 3, Jesus is introduced to us by way of prophetic promises. Did you notice? Promises given to the world through both Malachi and Isaiah. And all we're going to do tonight, now, for the rest of the time, is look at these two quotes, see what they mean, and how that applies to us. Who is this Jesus? Okay, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. We've seen that that maybe is not clear to some people, but maybe in these next few verses where Jesus is introduced by the way of the prophets, we can find out some more about this coming figure. Mark first quotes the prophet Malachi. Uh, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. End of quote from Malachi. This actually is from Malachi chapter 3. If you have a Bible, I don't usually ask you to turn up the pages, but I think it would be very helpful for you if you turn up these two prophecies and you see it in your own Bible and see exactly what's going on here. If you compare what Mark wrote in his first few lines to the actual prophecy of Malachi in chapter 3, which is, by the way, all this is about two pages back from the beginning of the New Testament, right? Malachi, the last book of the, New, of the Old Testament, prophet, uh, last before the coming of Christ. Malachi chapter 3, here's the prophecy which he quotes. And you notice how he says things. He doesn't say, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Chapter 3, verse 1 of Malachi Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can abide the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. And he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Very well-known passage here. Simply to, say, to point out, though, this passage about the Messiah, originally it doesn't say, I'm going to send my messenger to prepare your way before you, as though God were speaking to the Messiah. He says, I'm going to send my messenger to prepare the way before me, is that God himself is coming. And you see what Mark has done. Mark has adjusted the quotation in order that we might understand exactly who is coming. That it is God coming to his people indeed. But this God who is coming to his people is coming in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. My messenger before your face who will prepare your way for you. Uh, Mark changes it so that we can see when God comes to his people as promised, God comes to his people in Jesus. Well, that's interesting, but I think that you'll find the next quotation even more interesting. Back to the gospel according to Mark, 
uh, verse 3 of uh, chapter 1, um, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. This, of course, is being written of John the Baptist, as we, I read to you a little later here, the messenger who's coming to prepare the way of the Lord, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And you, you might notice if you have a new King James, as I do, that that Lord is in all caps. The Lord who is coming uh, is being prepared by a, a messenger, the way it's being prepared by a messenger. But that Lord, all caps, a helpful feature of the translation, will show you something even in the New Testament. But if not, everyone can look back at Isaiah chapter 40 and see how Mark has also changed this quotation in order to adjust it to Jesus and his coming. This messenger voice crying in the wilderness, John the Baptist, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Is this the Lord Jesus? Mm. We come back now to Isaiah chapter 40. I'll read to you the full passage again here. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Can't help but hear Handel's Messiah in both of these passages, right? Okay. All right. So uh, do you see, what's, you see what he's done now? Um, he's applied this passage about the coming of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital T, to Jesus. Jesus is the one coming, and the voice of one crying in the wilderness is John the Baptist, of course. All right. Well, why is this so interesting again, and what is this stuff with the capital letters? Well, a long time ago, Moses met God at the burning bush and asked him in the course of the conversation, what is your name? Uh, as though to say, look, I can't just go back to Egypt and say it's like this, guys. I was in Midian and I was talking to this bush. They're going to say, you are crazy. Who, what are you talking about? Um, who are you? What shall I say? The answer that God gives to Moses is one of the most important answers in the Bible. That God says to Moses, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, he says there, Jehovah, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Let me explain. In Hebrew, the word he is, a single word in, in Hebrew, he is, is written yod Hey vav Hey, or in English letters, J-H-V-H. Um, it means he is, can also mean he will be, 
also mean he causes to be. It's traditionally pronounced Jehovah, occasionally now Yahweh. It emphasizes the God who exists of himself, the God who is and was and will be without the need of anything else. To his absolute constancy and consistency, he never changes, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It emphasizes that he is uncaused, that he is eternal, that there has never been a time that he was not or when he will cease to be. And so ever since that point in English, at least in English translation, that name revealed to Moses, Jehovah, is translated in our English Bibles, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's to distinguish it from the ordinary title of Lord, which means ruler. It is the name of God, the name that means he is, the God who is I am. And so you see the significance now, flipping back, that this name is being consciously applied to Jesus at the beginning of the gospel according to Mark. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, John the Baptist, prepare the way of Jehovah, make his paths straight. Did I lose you in all these weeds? Because the first passage from Malachi was altered so that we would understand that when God comes to his people, God is coming to his people in Jesus. And the second passage is chosen to say that when Jehovah's way needs to be prepared, John the Baptist is going to come in the wilderness preaching the way of repentance to prepare the way of Jehovah. In other words, in these two verses quoted from the prophets, we are being introduced to Jesus who is not merely a man, as the critics have liked to point out, that we are being introduced to Jehovah Jesus. Um, That uh, uh, the importance of these opening quotations is shocking that Mark would right off the bat apply both of these right to Jesus right from the outset. And you see why the critics... Uh, have no clothes, right? How the modern enemies of Jesus greatly err not knowing the scriptures. And they say, oh, Mark has a bad Christology. If you, just, if you just look up the verses, you'll realize what is being said of Jesus right from the very, very beginning. The medium is the message for Mark, though, and Mark has his own way of teaching, which is more subtle, more literary, and this Jesus that does seem so ordinary on first glance does upon further inspection, seemed to conceal a fathomless mystery. And so, right from the beginning, people were asking this question about Jesus in the book of Mark. Who is this? Who is this who even forgives sins? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who is this person? We thought we understood, but there is something concealed here that is divine, not human. And Mark, as I say, uh, conceals and reveals this for us right from the very, very beginning. If, if some of you are still confused, I can take you through it more slowly, or you can go back and look at the Malachi and the Isaiah passage, why God and Jehovah are both being applied to Jesus. That's the point. Our church has a question and answer curriculum, the shorter catechism that asks the question, who is the redeemer of God's elect? The answer is, The only redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who, being the eternal Son of God, became man, and so was and continues to be God and man 
in two distinct natures and one person forever. Uh, Mark introduces Jesus to us. Well, not with a manger, not with a star, not with wise men, but that he is the God who is, the Alpha and the Omega, the mighty God whom angels worship, Jehovah, who at the beginning was with God and who was God, and who upholds all things by the power of his word. Now, there's a way of reading the Bible and thinking about the coming of Christ that keeps us from this full appreciation. We, we think of him perhaps this time of year, for obvious reasons, as a babe in the manger. Very cute, very safe. And we, so it's, so, it's so pastoral, the picture of the star and the wise men. But uh, he, here we are in the Gospel of Mark, just doing a little bit of work, and we're finding out already this one who's coming into the world as a babe in the manger is the Lord of glory. And the one who, as Irenaeus put it so long ago, uh, appeared to Abraham and instructed Noah about the measurements of the ark and sought Adam and brought judgment upon Sodom and directed Jacob in the way and conversed with Moses out of the book and wrestled with Jacob till the morning light that Mark wants to present us of the one who is, he is, the maker of heaven and earth, the world's sustainer, the one who led his people out of Egypt and thundered on Mount Sinai and overthrew the great nations of Canaan, that it is he who has come to die for you and for me. And when we realize that Jehovah incarnate is the one that we read elsewhere as in the, in the stable, in the manger, we realize how breathtaking and stunning it is, the great humiliation of the Son of God, that this one is the one that was beaten and slapped and his holy beard plucked and people spat in his face and he suffered that humiliation and died for your sins and mine. And how great was his love. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is Jehovah. The most important facts in the world given to us right up front. And it can't be right, therefore, if you are not trusting him and worshiping him. Even the angels of God worship him when he comes into the world. What he said and did is the most important thing in the world. And to know Jesus must be the key to all truth and life and meaning. We sang earlier about the Lord being our rock, Jehovah being our rock. Well, here he is, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in him, our hope rests secure. All things were made by him and for him, we read elsewhere. That is to say, you were made by Jesus and for Jesus. This one who is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person. One modern writer puts it this way, there is no God behind the back of Jesus, no act of God other than the act of Jesus, no God but the God we see and meet in him. Jesus Christ is the open heart of God, the very love and life of God poured out to redeem humankind, the mighty hand and power of God stretched out to heal and save sinners. All things are in God's hands, but the hands of God and the hands of Jesus in life and in death are the same. This is the good news of the coming of Jesus as heralded by Mark. This is what it means that there is good news in the coming of Jesus Christ the Messiah, the Son of God. And so I say, you must find in him 
your all in all. What a remarkably difficult thing it was for this first generation of Christians to put their faith in Jesus Christ like this. I said earlier it came at a high cost, but this Gospel of Mark reminds them of the greater glory and greatness of their Redeemer. And when we understand that, well, we understand the rest of the book and our very lives have their proper orientation. This is what kindles the spark of love within us and wonder that such glory was concealed in such a man. When some of us first recognized this, when it penetrated our thinking to realize this is 100% God and 100% man, we began to give him new glory and to live something, something beginning to be worthy of a life called by his name. Many people want what Christ can give, but they want it without bowing before him and saying, my Lord and my God, and the result is disastrous. It makes things far worse to take Jesus as something less than God the Son. You must gain a vision for the glory of God in Jesus Christ, and then and only then will you follow him accordingly. Therefore, the gospel according to Mark. Behold, I send my messenger before, not me, your face who will prepare your way for you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of Jehovah. Make his paths straight. Come, Jehovah Jesus. Let us pray together. Our great and gracious God, we pray that you would again take us to Christ's mercy seat, that we might understand that there at the cross with the centurion, truly this is the Son of God, who in all our affliction, yes, he was afflicted, and we pray that in the very hour of our need now, that such a great and merciful high priest in whom the power of God and the sympathy and experience of man meet together, that he would be to us a faithful and merciful high priest in all things pertaining to God. We thank you for appointing such a one to be our redeemer and our deliverer. For if our salvation is in his hands, we know now that it is safe indeed. Deliver us unto that day.